0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. If you happen to be a guest with us today, we're delighted that you're here, and you need to know we're in a series called Inspired, and we're going through the Bible in its order, um, and to, we've made it all the way to the books of First and Second Timothy and Titus, all right? So, toward the end of the New Testament now, as we begin to wind down our, our study through this, and so if you want to turn to First Timothy in your Bible or your uh, tablet or your phone or and, and follow along in just a minute… Uh, There is nothing in the Bible that indicates that the Apostle Paul ever had children. Uh, We don't even know that he was married, although he might have been prior to his conversion. But certainly, after he became a Christian, he devoted himself to the preaching of the gospel, and he didn't get married. He remained single throughout that time. So we don't think he had any children of his own. But wherever Paul went, he mentored young men for ministry in that day and time, and at least two of them he considered to be his sons in the faith. And their names are Timothy and Titus, both of whom came alongside of Paul and helped minister. Both of them were a part of the second generation of Christian leadership. Now, the books that we're going to explore this week and next week, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, uh, are called the pastoral letters. Uh, You know, up until this time, all of the letters have been addressed to churches, to the church at Rome, to the church at Corinth, to the church at Ephesus. All of those are churches, but these three letters were written to young men to help them prepare to lead in the body of Christ. Every preacher that I know has combed through the pages of First and 2 Timothy and Titus trying to learn as much as he or she can about leadership principles. And so, I want us to explore this morning some key principles of leadership as spelled out in this, this arena. And though we are 2,000 years removed from these writings and the culture of that day, the principles we find here are as relevant and fresh as if the ink were still wet on the parchment that Paul was using to write. Why study leadership principles? John Maxwell said it best. He says, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, I think to truly appreciate God's approach to leadership, you have to contrast it a little bit with our secular world's view of leadership. And they don't always match. So let's take just a quick glance at contemporary leadership. When I say the word leader, what's what's the first image that comes to your mind this morning? Uh, Are are you thinking of some political uh, or governmental leader? Uh, Is is it the CEO of a large corporation? Is it a Wall Street mogul? Uh, Is it a vision caster for a global benevolent organization? When you think of a leader, who is it? Uh, Evidently, you know, uh, and obviously these areas that I've just mentioned are places where leaders serve. But the secular world doesn't always see leadership the way it should, I believe. Um, Just take a look at some of the current things that are going on around us. Uh, You'd almost have to be living under a rock today not to realize that Russian President uh, Vladimir Putin has invaded and absorbed the Crimean Peninsula into Russia again, and now there are troops that are stationed on the borders of Ukraine, and who knows what's going to happen in the days ahead with all of the things that have been happening lately. And, and let me just add this thought here, too. You need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. Uh, when I've had the privilege to teach with TCM in Eastern Europe, I've had some Ukrainian students, and they are marvelous uh, with the work that they're doing in, in their homeland, teaching and advancing the gospel of Christ. Things are pretty tenuous there right now. But, but I, I've heard people talk about, you know, uh, President Putin as a strong leader, uh, he's powerful. He's, he's controlling. He's an analyst. He's, he's weighed the cost and figured out it's worth the risk, and he knows what he wants and he goes after it. He is a strong leader. I've heard that term used several times. The problem is that. Strong may not always be what you're looking for. That's not necessarily a good leader. Yes, a leader needs strength. Yes, a leader needs uh, the ability to analyze. Yes, the leader needs to take some risks at time. But everything, all of these qualities must always be tempered with poly- positive values from God's Word. Years ago, when Jim Collins published his book, Good to Great, Uh, He explored the lives of successful business leaders, and he said the best were what he called level five leaders. Do you know the one characteristic that separated level five leaders from level four, three, two, and one? There was one outstanding characteristic, and he writes about it almost with a sense of surprise in the book. The, The quality was humility. The best leaders that could take businesses that were failing and turn them around to be successful were leaders that had a sense of humility. Now that shouldn't surprise any of us. The word of God talks about that all the time and the valuable and the value of humility in any kind of a leadership role. In the world we see leadership from the top down. In the Bible we see leadership from the bottom up that you start with a servant's heart and that's where it begins. That to me is strong leadership. And so, when God established His church in this world, He knew that we would need earthly leadership as well. And so, He writes to Timothy, and He writes to Titus, and He spells out some of this important leadership. And so, let's take a look at church leadership this morning, as spelled out in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 and following. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, when you see the word overseer, we would would use the word elder, there. Uh, This is a description of what an elder does. Now, the elder, or the overseer, must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. This passage reminds us that good church leadership is vital to the life and the health of any congregation. A preacher was moving on to a new congregation. They were having a farewell dinner for him, and uh, through the dinner he noticed this, this one stalwart elderly lady of the church was just having a really hard time with her emotions. She was crying, and so he walked over, put his arm around her and says, now, don't cry. I'm sure the next preacher will be much better than I am, and she sobbed. That's what they said the last time, but it just keeps getting worse. Sometimes it feels like leadership just keeps getting worse. Why is it so important for quality leadership in the church? Well, author and Christian leader Philip Keller was at one point in his life a sheep rancher. And there's a lot of lessons we can learn from sheep. He writes about the fact that sheep require more attention than any other livestock. They are just not capable of taking care of themselves. Unless their shepherd makes them move on, sheep will actually ruin a pasture, eating every blade of grass until finally this fertile pasture is nothing but barren soil. Sheep are nearsighted, sheep are incredibly stubborn, and they are easily frightened. An entire flock can be stampeded by nothing more than a jackrabbit. Sheep have little means of defense. They're timid. They're feeble creatures. Their only recourse is to run if they have no shepherd to protect them. And to add insult to injury, sheep have no homing instincts. Dogs and cats, birds, horses even, have a homing instinct. They they can find their way back home, but a sheep... (laughs) If a sheep is lost, it's it's lost, and it's a goner, unless the shepherd can find the sheep in time. Now, we laugh, but you do know, don't you, the most common analogy that God makes between us and Himself is that of a shepherd and sheep. We are like sheep. Isaiah 53, verse 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, laid on Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep, without a shepherd. That's why God has given us leaders. Now, I'm not sure of Paul's intent with this list. But I don't think he intended for us to make a checklist and check off everything perfectly. I I think perhaps the most important qualification in this list is the first one. What we read in verse 2, it says, now the overseer must be above reproach. And you say, well, how do you know if somebody's above reproach? And Paul goes right down this list. All right, well, check out what his home life is like. What's he like on the, on, on the job? And so we go through and we take a look at a person, see how their family responds to him, see how he treats his family. How does he handle his financial responsibility? What are his actions in the community? Does he have a hospitable nature? Uh, is he easily angered? What's his reputation outside these walls? And you begin to look at a person's character, and when you find somebody that you can say, yeah, he's above reproach, then that may be the person that is best qualified to step into this role. In the New Testament, there are three different words that are used that we we ascribe to the elder. The first one is simply that word, elder, which means older, but not in the sense of chronological age as much as in spiritual maturity. That's why Paul says he shouldn't be a brand new Christian because he's not mature enough in the faith to be able to lead. The second word is this word overseer here, which is actually the word bishop. And, it, and when I hear the word overseer, I, I sort of see this heavy-handed person who is kind of a taskmaster. But that's not what the word overseer means. Overseer means to see over a group of people and encourage, help, and strengthen them. Third word's my favorite. It's the word shepherd. A shepherd is one who leads a flock. By the way, it is my understanding that in biblical times, shepherds among other groups and nations drove their sheep. The shepherd would get behind and, you know, drive the sheep along down the path. But an Israelite shepherd always led his sheep. There's a difference when one leads as opposed to one who drives. Shepherds take care of the sheep's needs. They lead the sheep to sources of food and quiet rest, and they soothe and bandage their wounds. They protect them from intruders and thieves, and most importantly, they know their sheep. In a spiritual sense, elders wisely and maturely oversee or see over the Lord's congregation with the same love and compassion that a shepherd extends to his flock. Elders, therefore, protect the church from false teachers and false teaching They pray for the church. They minister to the sick and the hurting. They maintain a sense of unity and peace without compromising the essentials of the faith. Our elders here evaluate the life of the church to ensure that we stay true to the mission established by Jesus Himself and true to our own vision of how to carry out that mission that we are always a church saying yes to love. I must tell you this morning, our elders are outstanding. They are men who are faithful to their calling, who serve numerous hours above their jobs and time they spend with family, who care deeply about this congregation and strive to accomplish what this church, in God's plan, is all about. They look with vision, they serve with compassion. They are men who are worthy of your trust. They are men who have devoted themselves to this with the greatest care. I trust any of them, any one of them, or collectively the whole group with my life. More importantly, I would trust my family's life with any of their care and keeping. Since we all serve God, why is it so important to have earthly leadership? Oh, that's easy, because every one of us need accountability. Now, I'll make you a promise this morning. I promise I will never intentionally try to mislead you about the preaching of of God's Word. I I will do my best to be honest and forthright in the preaching of the gospel. I'll I'll promise this, too. I will never intentionally bring you a plan or a program or, or a vision That I don't believe first advances the gospel of Christ, and second of all, that it's good for this congregation and good for the community. I'll make that promise to you, but you gotta understand something. I am not perfect, I am far from it, just like any of you in this room. I can make and easily make mistakes in judgment. You know, I'm a sheep too. What does that tell you? We're all sheep together, so I won't intentionally do it, but I might make a mistake. That's why I need somebody to whom I am accountable. Somebody that I can trust that will watch over me and hold my feet to the fire just like anybody else in this congregation. So myself or none of the rest of our staff serve with the elders. They stand alone as those who, even though we work shoulder to shoulder with them, give oversight to the ministry of this church. It's a check and balance system so that everything works like it's supposed to work. And I believe their greatest responsibility is to prevent mission drift. In the congregation. Are you familiar with the term mission drift? Do you know what it is? Let, let me give an example if you don't. Here is the founding mission statement of a well-known university, quote, to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, end quote. That university was founded in 1636 at the time employed almost exclusively Christian professors, emphasized character formation in its students above all else, and placed a strong emphasis on equipping ministers who would go out with the gospel into a lost world. Every one of its diplomas for years had in the Latin these words, truth for Christ and the church. The university is Harvard. At the 350th anniversary of Harvard University, Stephen Muller, former president of John Hopkins University bluntly said, the bad news is the university has become godless. Harvard's founders were unmistakable. They were as clear as clear could be as to the purpose for which that university had been established. But today, today it is something quite different. That is called mission drift. And what we must guard against is that we drift away from the mission for which God established the church in this world. And the role of the elder is chiefly to make sure that what is taught and proclaimed and done here falls in line with the mission that Jesus established. So, I'm going to ask you to pray for these men Matter of fact, if you didn't get one of these cards on your way in this morning, would you pick one of them up? Uh, We got plenty for everybody. They're, they're out in the foyer. It has all 12 of our current elders on it and their names. You, you will probably recognize those from the, what, who you've seen around here on a Sunday morning, uh, but you may not have known their name. You may not even realize that they were one of our elders. I'm going to ask you to pray for these men because I can guarantee you that they are praying for you. Now, one of these days, I'm going to also come back to this passage of Scripture because it talks about deacons. We have some great deacons around here too, but time won't allow me to do that this morning. In light of the specific leadership of the church, though, Timothy also deals with Christian leadership in general. You know, if you're going out of here and saying, well, I'm not an elder, so this really doesn't apply to me. Oh, yeah. You look down through that list of being above reproach. That ought to apply to all of us in the body of Christ. But every Christian, in some way or another, is a leader to a certain degree. You may not realize it, but people are watching you. They may even be following you, and your actions and your character will either lead others away from the faith or they will lead others closer to their faith in Jesus Christ. One of the simplest and yet most powerful definitions of leadership comes from John Maxwell. It's this Leadership is influence. Leadership is influencing others' thoughts and feelings to bring about a desired result in their actions and direction. Your goal, my goal, our mission together is to help other people come to know Jesus Christ. And that will largely hinge on the character that we develop. Let me me read you a couple passages that should speak to all of us this morning. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, verse 18 says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Chapter 6, verse 11, But you, men of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on with this marvelous benediction. Now, did you notice what Paul laid out there? This is great for all of us to keep in mind. He said, Timothy, I want this is how you develop leadership. Hold on to your faith. Don't you let go of it for a moment. Maintain a good or a clear conscience. Flee or run from sinful behavior. Pursue what is right and what is godly. Pr- practice love, endurance, and gentleness. Stay true to your confession of faith. And be blameless in your actions. Be above reproach in the eyes of those around you. Now, do you know what all those attributes have in common? They describe godly character with a serving attitude. And that, that's what I believe is the heartbeat of Christian leadership. Now, you may may not see yourself as a leader this morning. Some some of you are saying, I'm a nobody. People don't even know that I'm around. Uh, Nobody would give me a second glance. Ah, but if you're a person of character, if you like serving from the bottom up, people will notice and people will follow. Think you're a nobody? You can change your legacy with your character. Do any of you recognize the name William A. Wheeler? Uh, You probably don't, but he was just one heartbeat away from being President of the United States. In the presidential election of 1876, Rutherford B. Hayes was nominated by the Republican Party to be their candidate in that election, but it had been a long and an arduous convention, and, they, and so they were down to the end. They had to pick a running mate. Nobody really wanted to stay. Nobody really cared who the vice presidential candidate was going to be. And so the, a delegation from New York, as a joke, put into nomination one of the little-known congressmen from New York, William A. Wheeler. Rutherford Hayes didn't have a clue who this guy was. Somebody nominated him, there was a second, and all of a sudden there was acclamation, and everybody rushed for the doors to catch the last trains so they could go home. They didn't even applaud. The ticket won the election of 1876, and William A. Wheeler became the 19th vice president of the United States. Like I say, just one breath away from being president. He went into the office of nobody, And when he left office four years later, he left with the legacy of being completely honest. Now, when I say completely honest, that was his reputation. You couldn't buy him. You couldn't sway him. He was a man, they said, who was honest to the core. Now, I'm telling you, he was a good choice. Even though nobody knew him at the moment, his legacy became that of a character and integrity that set his life above others. I want you to realize this morning that when you live, your legacy is more important. It's more about who you are than what you've done. Your character speaks louder than words. Be a person of integrity, and people will follow now I want to wipe, wind up this sermon this morning by um uh, recognizing our elders who are who are in here, so if uh, any of our elders are still left, they've been here for all of the services this morning. I want you to come up at this time um, just as you have uh, in the other services. Not all of them are here. Some of them uh, are, are out of town on on business. We couldn't get all 12 of them to be here together at the time. but uh, And some of them are serving in some other capacities right now. But I want you to see these men as they come up. And, and this morning, what we did at the 8 o'clock service uh, was that uh, we presented them with walking sticks. Now, one of the men in the congregation here has handcrafted each one of these walking sticks. He wanted to do so and rena- remain anonymous about it. But what what a perfect gift for men who are shepherds. It's like a shepherd's staff. Every shepherd would have had a staff, and, and you'll see as these guys come up that no two walking sticks are exactly alike. Some of them are different kinds of wood, they're different shapes, they're slightly different lengths. They're different strengths of wood. They are decorated with different kinds of colors and objects, but every one of those sticks represents the characteristics of our elders, each one who brings certain abilities and and talents, and gifts to this role. But I can tell you, collectively, all those sticks are for walking. All these elders are about serving. They all share in common that they are shepherds of this flock here. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for these men who stand before us, that you have chosen, this congregation has chosen to serve in the capacity of a shepherd here. Father, we pray that the walking stick that they've been given will be a reminder to them of the charge that has been given to them through your Spirit to be shepherds of the flock, to protect, care for, pray for, lead, and protect this body of believers. And so, Lord, I ask your blessing upon them and upon their families, upon us as we all work together. And may you always be glorified through the lives that we live In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let let me just wind up with with this. I read of a minister recently who was officiating at a funeral of a veteran, and um, the the funeral was going to begin with… Well, some other military men who had known the deceased, and they were going to come in, and they were going to stand in front of the casket. They were going to stand at attention. They were going to salute their comrade, and then they were going to leave the the room. And so they asked the minister if he would lead them down the aisle, stand at attention with them, and then lead them out the side door. And so he agreed to do that. And so the funeral began. They came down. It It was a solemn, beautiful, touching moment. They stood there saluting their comrade. They walked out. Everything was great until the preacher picked the wrong door, and they marched smartly into a broom closet. It is hard to maintain dignity and decorum when you've gone through the wrong door at a place like that. Two quick lessons for you to remember on leadership from that. If you're going to lead, if you're going to lead, make sure you know where you're going. You only get one shot at leading others. Don't mislead them with dubious character. Number two, when you choose to follow, make sure the leader you're following is credible. If you're going to pin your hope for eternal life on some leader, make sure he can get you there. Make sure he knows the right door. Better yet, make sure he is the door. Jesus said, I am the door to the sheepfold. You want to be one of his sheep? He's the only one that can get you where you need to go. He's the only one credible enough to follow for eternity.